Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Susan Jackson. Susan, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Certainly, my name's, as you say, Susan, and uh, I'm married to Martin. We have three children. Uh, we live in Nottingham. We've lived here for the last 20 years uh, from Coventry originally, but we've travelled around um, to various places, Russia, America, work, working with the Salvation Army. And, um, but we've been where we are now for a, a good 20 years. Um, so, yeah, we are envoys in the Salvation Army and soon training to be um, fully-fledged officers of the Salvation Army in the UK. Um, so people listen to this do do you have a website for your specific core or is it just we the general do. salvation yes, we do have a website it's called um, church in the meadows um, okay. because we um, have for a long time now partnered with um, an Anglican church down the road uh, it's not quite as it was the partnership but it's um, we still work together with them that's that's the website at the moment church in the meadows Okay, so for people listening, I'll put that link yeah. in the description, so it's there, yeah. ready for you to go and check out. Sure. So, Susan, there's many avenues we could go with this conversation. <clears throat> As you mentioned, you're part of the Salvation Army. Just for people who are listening who don't know what the language of the Salvation Army, you mentioned the word core, you mentioned the word um, envoy, and you mentioned the word officers. Can you... Because yeah. this might crop up from time to time, and that's really authentic. And, and Ca- even actually people in different places like America, um, they don't actually even know anything about the founder of the Salvation Army. When we ask if people have heard of him, they yeah. have no idea. Okay. So you might yeah. want to give a bit of background on that one as well. Okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I can do that. So, um, so in fact, William Booth, um, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, with his wife, Catherine Booth, William was actually born... Um, about a mile from where I'm sitting right now um, and grew up in, in a, an area called Snenton in Nottingham. He then went to London, which is where he, um, he felt God show him his people who were the, um, you know, the, the people who were on the streets, people who had addiction problems and in poverty. Um, this was going back to 1865. Um, so, yeah, that's where we, we were birthed. Um, um, on Mile End Waste in London. Um, and, you know, he was a Methodist minister, actually, William Booth was. And uh, his vision was to, to, to include all of these people in the kingdom of God, bring them all in, bring them all into church. But when he started to bring these people into the existing churches, um, people resisted and didn't want those people in the church. And so he, in a sense, was forced to uh, to start his own church. And it was called the Christian Mission in, in the first instance. It wasn't uh, supposed to be a church it was a mission a movement um, and then yeah time went on and eventually we became the Salvation Army um, so that's a little bit about the founder and his wife Catherine was incredible too um, they are the people that um, you know the stories from those days are the stories that inspire me still to be part of the Salvation Army um, core is the next so yeah so he, he kind of thought through how we're going to structure this thing and uh, came up with a real military 
um, kind of idea. So he was the general. There's only one general. There's only ever one general. Um, the idea is, you know, we battle, um, don't we? We're in a fight, a spiritual fight against the evil one. And so, um, yeah, that's what that's where it comes from. We're, we're a Salvation Army fighting uh, onward Christian soldiers and all of that. Um, and so envoy is just a rank um, and it, it's it, in, in the UK. And envoy does the job of an officer, which is a minister in the Salvation Army. Um, but it's, it's more of a kind of, it, it's like a three-year dip your toe in the water, see if that's for you and see where God's leading you. Well, we've done about three, four, five, six such dip your toes in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and we finally come to a place where we feel this is the time, even though we're, you know, um, not spring chickens, <laughs> feel like this is the time, yes, to, uh, to train and to become, um, yeah, officers. And then, you know, we'll be a cadet when we're training and then we'll come out, we'll be lieutenants after five years, captains and then majors. And uh, we probably won't get, we won't get any further than that, <laughs> for sure. Haven't left ourselves enough time. Um, and a core, as in C-O-R-P-S, is what we call our church, our congregation. So how did you come to be in the Salvation Army? Um, well, I had no choice in the matter initially because I was, um, I was a fetal Salvationist. <laughs> <laughs> So my parents, their parents, um, I'm a fifth generation Salvationist. Wow. Yeah. So my uh, great, great grandmother was um, number one on the roll um, in Littleport Salvation Army. Um, and she would have been around at the same time as William and Catherine Booth. Hmm. Wow. So you obviously have continued in it it's part of your heritage which yeah. personally I think is really important so can you take us now back on your journey of following Jesus and you mentioned Russia how does Russia fit into the story from um, Little Port to <laughs> Nottingham and in the, the middle of it the, the meadows, meadows to, to Russia to Russia yeah okay so um to answer that question, I need to go back to when I was around 12, 13 years old. Um, I, I would have been 13. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 13. Um, and that was in a Salvation Army meeting too at the NEC, actually, in Birmingham. We were at um, a kind of rally. And um, I, I remember feeling for the first time just this overwhelming sense that God was real. And um, I now know that that was a, an encounter with the Holy Spirit, you know, who was um, guiding me to that truth that, that God was actually real. It was, just, it was a real eye opener. It was like, oh, wow, all of this that we've been doing, all that my parents have been telling me, this is actually true. I can see it. I can feel it in every fibre of my being. And uh, the invitation was given to go forward. And I went forward um, and gave my, my life to Jesus. And it was a, a, a real turnaround. It wasn't like I was a terrible child. I wasn't. Um, but they, but they marked something very significant for me as a child. And, uh, you know, I started um, reading. I was hungry for more um, to understand more about Jesus and the works of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and it was around that time that I can remember a, um, a Salvation Army officer visiting from somewhere in Africa. And uh, 
I was captivated by what he had to say. And he shared, you know, about his time, what he did from day to day. And I just, I couldn't, couldn't tell you what he said. I just remember sitting there thinking, I want to do that. I want to be a missionary like him. And I want to tell people about Jesus. And I want to travel to, to different lands and to meet people from different lands and tell them about Jesus. Um, so fast forward a number of years, we, we're getting towards the end of university. I went away to university and um, my friends started to talk about, you know, gap years and what they would do. And I kind of thought, well, okay, I, I gap year sounds wonderful, but I'd, I'd like, I just remembered <laughs> that there was this thing, you know, about, about going overseas and telling people about Jesus. Maybe this is the time for that. So I wrote to international headquarters in London and just said, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go anywhere. Um, in my head, though, I was thinking Africa for maybe one, maybe two years if I'm pushed. Um, and I wrote in now, you know, it's very interesting that the, the Salvation Army has been invited back to Russia because it was 1993 that I was writing this letter. And um, at the end of, you know, Perestroika, the, the Salvation Army was invited back in um, after um, 70 years of absence to uh, to help with social work, really, was what, what the invitation was for. So I knew about that. So I thought, well, I'll just let them know that I know a little bit about um, about what's going on. That will sound good. Um, yeah. But really, I wanted Africa, but I didn't say what I wanted. Anyway, I sent it off. And um, an, a, a letter came back a, a week or so later with an application form. Dear Susan, um, it's very, it's, it, thank you for your letter um, expressing an interest in uh, working in Russia with the Salvation Army. The minimum term for this is three years. Now, that was a bit of a shock to me. I was 21 years old. And I was like, no, that's not what I wanted at all. That's not at all what I wanted. Russia's really cold. And um, I was thinking Africa for a year. So I was really cross with myself for not being clearer. And why did I ever mention Russia? That was stupid. And, um, and I threw the letter and the application form in the bin. <laughs> um, what I missed out, actually, and this, this is only something that came to me again recently, about a year before that, um, and this is how I knew, I guess, that, you know, we were back in Russia. I'd gone to, I, didn't, I did the Camp America thing. I did that two years running. And um, when I went for the second time, I arrived at the airport and was taken straight to um, a big congress at Atlanta Temple Salvation Army Corps. And when I arrived there, the general at the time, her name was Eva Burroughs. Now, she's worth looking up. She was an incredible lady, Eva Burroughs. She was an Australian. And she was the general. of the Remember, general is there's only one general of the whole of the movement. And there are 130 countries represented in the Salvation Army. So she was there. It was a big deal. And um, I just caught the end of... One of, the, one of her talks, and as I opened the door, this is what I heard. We will advance to the whole world, even Russia. Oh. Yeah, and I remember, and there was this big, you know, commotion. People were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and at the end, my friend who I was meeting there came out and she said, I'm going to Russia to work for the Salvation me and I remember thinking you're mad that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> now let's go and get some food and calm down a bit uh, <laughs> so anyway that happened and 
but actually, I, I thought you were mad, but actually there was something in me that thought, oh, I wish I'd thought of that first. <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, and it was, it was just something and nothing, you know, and it was only when you look back, you think, oh, there's a little seed there somehow. It, somehow her saying that, she, did, she didn't end up going at all, but somehow her saying that kind of paved the way a little bit, I think. Anyway, the letter came, threw it in the bin. Ah, oh, really cross. After a day or two, I started to think, oh, Okay, I did say to God and I said to the Salvation Army, I will go anywhere. <laughs> so I should at least pray about this. So I started to pray. And um, I remember I was studying music at the time and I said to my music teacher, you know, there's this opportunity to go to Moscow. He said, oh, wow, Moscow, that's an incredible place to be if you're a musician, you know, which I wasn't you know, a serious musician like he was. He was, but you know, he was like, there's so you know, there's loads of theatres and all this, that, and the other. I was like, oh, okay, well, it sounds like a cool place. Um, and uh, little by little, there were little things like that that just kind of nudged me um, back on track. I mean, I threw it in the bin, but it was in my waste paper bin in my bedroom that I didn't empty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was, yeah. I knew it was there. So eventually, I went back and picked it out and and thought, okay. I'm going to push this door and trust that Jesus will close this door if it's not the right way. And um, so I, I did that, filled in the application form. Um, I confess to you that even getting on the plane, I still wasn't sure that it was right. I just knew that God hadn't closed the door. <laughs> and it was I was frightened, if I'm honest with you. What, what airline and, did you fly with? Can you remember? I'm pretty sure it was British Airways. Oh, okay, never mind. I was going to make a joke if you said Aeroflot. <laughs> I was going to say maybe that's why you were scared. <laughs> I know. Well, I, it didn't help that I sat next to a, a British telecom um, engineer who said, um, we got chatting and he said, you know, so what are you doing? So going, going to work with the Salvation Army. How long for? Three years. Three years! And he did say, you must be, have you ever been before? Do you know where you're going to? Um, and uh, that that didn't help me at all. <laughs> but but I arrived. Um, you know, it, it it was scary. It wasn't all nice and lovely. Certainly not. But it was the most incredible three years. Um, yeah, and I'm so so grateful for that time. Um, for the, so much learning went on there. So many wonderful relationships forged. So I'm very grateful. So where did you arrive to? I mean, what did the Salvation Army have a place there? Or <laughs> So the communication wasn't too great. Um, in fact, the people in Russia only knew I was arriving on the Monday. They found out two days previous. So they didn't have a place ready for me. Um, and the people who had come to meet me at the airport were late. Um, I did forgive them later. They're good friends. But... Um, uh, yeah, that, that kind of added to the whole um, experience. It was a bit scary at the airport. Lots of people with guns and um, and bad hairdos and thick lipstick. Right. And then when, when you get through, there's all these taxi men in these crazy jumpers saying, taxi, taxi, taxi. And I knew how to say two words in Russian, which was da and yet. So um, I wasn't particularly equipped. But then I saw the wonderful sight of two women, Narell and Sandy, arriving at the airport with the Salvation Army uniforms on. Um, never was I so pleased to see <laughs> the uniform. And, they, and I ended up staying with Sandy Foster um, for a while on her floor. 
And um, yeah, then I got my own place. It was all good. So talk to us about some of the things that you learnt in your time there. Yeah. I learnt how to be alone, alone. That, that was the first time that I was really alone because obviously I've been with my family and then university, you're pretty much never on your own. And um, nobody spoke and didn't speak the language either. No, I didn't speak the language. So, um, but I loved that. That's what I discovered that about myself, that I'm actually good at languages. You know, I studied French at school and I was terrible at it. But, you know. You just said you're good at languages. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, in the classroom, in the classroom. <laughs> good point. <laughs> I can't learn from books. <laughs> Uh, but put me in the country and um, give me some young people that they were brilliant they um, they helped uh, so much you know they after a while they just refused to speak English to me so um, yeah that was great and just that stimulation of every day just feeling like you know a little bit more I love that um, what did I learn I learned that it's not about going to Russia <laughs> or going to Africa, or going to anywhere. It's about what you do when you're there, wherever you are. It's how you live that day, and the next day, and then, you know, how, you know what I mean? Um, that, I remember that suddenly dawning on me, you know, as I was there, well, so what, I'm here, but what am I, how am I living here for Jesus? Um, so that was quite a big, big thing, because I, I did kind of think that, Getting on the plane and going was the thing, <laughs> but it wasn't. Yeah, Russia's a, a really interesting place. We've been a few times um, yeah. over the years, um, kind of right across Russia. But I know a lot of people will not have been there. Um, and all they really hear is maybe all the political scandals that, you know, Russia are involved with or, you know, the, the person who was uh, assassinated in him and his daughter were poisoned in i think was that london um, oh yeah i believe it was or uh, somewhere a bit north of where it was yeah, yeah. Anyway. so uh, people hear these things but have never actually been themselves uh, and you've already said you know it, when you got there you were like this is super challenging there's a lot of things you didn't like about it can you talk about some of the challenges what were the things oh. what was the climate like in russia at the time or even on a spiritual level can you talk about some of those things Yes, yeah. So remembering I was there from 1993 to 96 and that, that, you know, particularly in Moscow is, has changed so much. I mean, I have been back since. So, um, you know, things will have moved on and changed. But when I was there, <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, the, the, it, the people I got to know well would tell me things like, um, you know, one friend I, I had, Tanya, she said her grandmother, because obviously communism was, was there. She was actually from Kazakhstan, but she said her grandmother used to pray in the attic and uh, sometimes she'd pray with her, but it was all, all done very secretly. Um, and and, and that, that obviously birthed something in her, but there was, there was still this underground kind of, as there would be, you know, um, sense of there was a presence of God there, you know, and people were hungry for it, but obviously they couldn't express that and it was interesting when the Salvation Army did return they were one of the first churches to return <clears throat> but there were many people queuing up to come to church and to be you know to they were, there was this hunger um, and I think it was the first time I had met people 
who like that I suppose who hadn't ha- hadn't been able to express something but they, they deeply wanted to and I think Russian people are a deeply spiritual people which is interesting isn't it considering you know communism um, and th- they did show me more about that side of things I guess you know coming from the west and you know there is Russia is a little bit east isn't it obviously it's massive so in some there was a real east side but even Moscow, which is the western side, it, it, there is a, a feel about it that's a bit eastern. So um, I've kind of forgotten your question, but I think it was about, yeah, describe the challenges. That's right. So Challenges and the, the climate. Yeah, yeah. So the cl- you were aware as you were travelling around on the metro, um, walking around the streets, that there was this coldness that was nothing to do with the weather. You know, there was this sense of mistrust on the streets you couldn't get eye contact with anybody on the streets it was, you couldn't walk down the street and say good morning and hello um you would be a weirdo <laughs> and people would ignore you um even children they, they they wouldn't look at you in the eyes um which i found very sad um but but <laughs> particularly the babushkas the old, older ladies would not mind telling you off in the streets. They, they, they were okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I can remember I went out one day with my jacket on and I, I didn't, hadn't noticed. I'd, I'd gone out anyway, I'll tell you, the, I'll, don't spoil it. I went out and um, people kept like pointing to my jacket as I was walking along. I didn't know much Russian. They'd just point at my jacket and with a bit of a, you know, disgusted face. I thought, what's wrong with me? You know, I looked down eventually and realised I'd done my buttons up wrong. <laughs> um after that and one woman had a real go at me she was like your jacket (laughs) but obviously she probably hadn't had a go at me she was just kindly letting me know just sounded like it yeah if you dared take a baby out without a hat on even in the summer you would get told off as a mother you know that that was interesting so although there was mistrust on the streets the babushkas were very active still (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I think you'll still see this the last time I went I still saw this which was sadly many many people living um on the stations you know the metro not the metro station so much as the railway stations families living there um and people you know having lots to drink early in the morning just drunk um on the streets which obviously is very dangerous um anywhere but you know there where it's minus 20 you know people do freeze and die um terrible that that was um one of the things i noticed when we were there was related to that and how uh, in england we might have a tesco's or in america you might have i don't know a, a walmart or something i don't know um and in russia they had their kind of a sort of an equivalent and uh, I noticed that a lot of them had extra rooms attached to the buildings where they could go buy their vodka or whatever they're drinking, get drunk and then sleep in the room attached to it. So they could get drunk, sleep there overnight, I guess, and then go home mm. the next day. So even the shops, some of the shops that we saw catered to that sort of culture. Over Interesting. There, which was, I was like, wow, that is strange. I couldn't imagine like a Tesco's providing a room for people to go and sleep in it once they got drunk. I think something that I noticed, and I don't, I'm pretty sure it must have been the same for you at that time, 
was that people didn't laugh or smile on the streets. No. Um, we set ourselves a challenge because we stayed in this hotel and, I mean, hotel was the word it was called, but uh, <clears throat> it had a, a different uh, idea of hotel. And there was somebody on the door and we, I made it my challenge all the time we were there to smile at him and he would smile back, but he didn't. And we were in um, an elevator and one of us had a bottle of Coke or this something. Was in, this was in the airport terminal. We, it was full. We yeah. were surrounded by people. Yeah. And the um, it fizzed over and went all over the place. So of course, we're laughing, not one of them. Even smiled. Not even, a, yeah, not even just a slight grin, nothing. Wow. Was that well, like that for you? Yeah, yeah, on the streets, definitely. But but going to somebody's home and it's an altogether different story. Um, you know, I, there's a, I, I was kind of adopted when I was over there by a family, the Makarov family, a wonderful family. And um, they, you know, they welcomed me and they were so much fun. They had seven children. Um, but one was kind of grown up, you know, so it ranged from about seven to 20. Um, they were, but they were hilarious. There was so much fun. They were so loving and caring. When I was ill, she sent two of her children down with medication to, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, and it's very much like that on the street, you know, there's this facade, but, but no, get behind that. And they are the most generous, wonderful people. Mm, yeah. They're very warm. I remember going to some of the people's homes and you're right, it's a completely different atmosphere, but it's, yeah. you know, people listening, it's not that they are just like this. There there are reasons why yeah. the people are like this growing up behind the iron curtain and communism, things like that. They've had to go through really difficult times. And um, so it's not just like they're, just you know. Yeah, the other thing I noticed was they had tiny apartments, but most of them had an enormous dog. <laughs> however that's of no great significance the, the, to yeah what what were the winters like for you in mm. I, I know we went to um we went to uh siberia uh in one winter and it was like minus oh. 30 celsius I, I don't know what that is in fahrenheit or something i met someone who the tip of his nose had chipped off because it was so cold mm. um yeah. wow yeah, I mean, they, they were cold, <laughs> what can I say? Um, but Russia obviously is uh, further south than that, so not so cold. I think, I think minus 15 wasn't unusual. Um, and, and the winters were very long. I think that's what I found the hardest, um, because for you can dress for the cold. And I learned how to do that, you know, to dress with all the layers. Um, and the good, good thing in Russia is whenever you go indoors, it's absolutely boiling, you know, good and bad, I suppose. Um, but you don't get chance to really get cold if you're coming out of your house walking to the metro there's always a metro station close enough um metro is really warm very warm then you get you know you, you might walk a little bit you don't allow yourself i guess to get freezing um in the city if you can help it um but yeah it was cold <laughs> did did the work that you did in russia of it you speak fluent russian um now and uh, you do that some here in England, uh, translations for people, for the police. Um, did, but did your time in Russia have a big impact on you in terms of the work you now do in England with a lot of the people coming across the immigration yeah. situation, people fleeing their countries and coming here? 
so that's a good good question so <clears throat> somewhere along the line just to just to say i've never done any i did think about doing some um translation stuff with the police but I've ne- i never ended up doing that just to, oh. you know, wouldn't want to mislead people there. um <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean it it had a profound impact on me one thing it did for me was give me an empathy for people who don't live in their own country you know live away from home um you know i, I and it's increased my appetite for listening to people's stories about what it's like in your home, you know? So, and language, the whole language thing. I I really loved learning a new language and it gave me um, more of an interest even in my own language. So all of that combined, when I came back, um, I had this, this idea, well, I think I'd quite like to teach English to people from other countries, Um, which is what I ended up doing for 13 years. Um, and I've only just resigned from that job, actually. Um, so there, there, there were a few things combined there. There's the language, there's, um, you know, the fact that in your classroom, there'd be people from all over the world. You could have a class of 15 and, you know, you could have, it, usually it's more like 12, 13 countries represented, but you know, that, that, was the, that was the idea. Um, so, so such a stimulating environment, you know, for people and, and the opportunities to learn from each other. Um, about different lands and what have you. So that, that was amazing. Um, and I think that came from my experience in Russia. I think it also came from my experience as a child listening to this man. Um, and what I didn't say was after this, this um, you know, guy from Africa talks about his work in Africa, I, I then started to, you know, read books about the, what's that book? Is it the World Vision book uh, about the 1040 window? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that window, I can remember looking at that and, and you know, dreaming about uh, where I could go. And, and, and Daphne, you, you were key in this as well, because after Russia, I was a bit of a frustrated, I felt like I was a frustrated missionary. Well, I need to go somewhere because I you know, need to fulfil this thing. And you said, but where we live, you don't have to go anywhere, something like that. You don't have to go anywhere. You can be a missionary on your doorstep. And uh, I loved that you said that. That was really helpful to me because it, it, meant that I could relax a little bit I'm, I'm here so I'm going to be a missionary here and um, that's how I saw <clears throat> that that it was a ministry to me you know working for the college um, and uh, another guy who um, who said something helpful about that was Lawrence Singlehurst when he said about being a um, pastor a secret pastor from the back to uh, to people in your workplace and so, you know, I saw myself as a, as a secret pastor or a secret missionary. And I'd, um, I'd pray for the, the people in my classroom. I'd pray for my colleagues as well. As many people do, I know it's, it's not an unusual thing to do. Um, but it, it was great to me. I had the globe in my classroom. It was, it was wonderful. So, yeah, in answer to your question, it's, it did kind of shape what I did. And now, you know, so I did that not quite full time, but almost full time for about five years and then I cut my hours down there while I became a part-time envoy for the Salvation Army. And what I what kind of came from that was this ministry, kind of um, an extension of what I was doing in the classroom. I was able to, you know, channel these people into our ministry here in the church, in the core, in, in Meadows, in Nottingham. Um, how did I do that? So, <clears throat> you know, you've got to be a bit careful. Obviously, I can't um, go in with church invites to a, um, a council-run college or whatever. Um, so, you know, I would 
well, partly it was by moving here in the meadows. Many of my students who I taught lived in the meadows. So I met up with them here. And <clears throat> so we started groups like, again, Daphne was um, instrumental in this. We did a homework club for a while because it's difficult when you don't speak the language to help your children with their homework and their reading. Um, we did something called Keep Talking, which was a language-based um, thing, but it was more about getting the families in and let's have some fun together. Let's do some competitions and all the time while we're learning the language. Um, and uh, then that grew into something called Inspire, which we had in my house where the mothers of these families who I've been getting to know over a period of about eight, nine years, you know, would come in and I explained, you know, Inspire is a bit different, you know, whereas Keep Talking and, you know, the homework club, we didn't, we are, you know, we're a church, but we didn't really talk about um, about our faith particularly. Inspire is different. And I just want you to know that before you come, you know, Inspire is about, we're going to talk about life and faith. Um, and if you're happy to talk about life and faith, then, then come along. But you, you know, I'm a Christian, right? And made it really clear. Um, but nonetheless, they came because... The relationship was there, I'm sure that was why. Um, and uh, we would meet and I just thought, well, you know, let's just do this. And, and, and I'd say at the beginning, I'm, I'm my last, the last thing I want to do is to upset any of you. Um, and please, if I do offend you in any way, please talk to me. You know, we're friends here. I really don't want to do that. Um, so and then I felt that just allowed me permission to just do what it was that was on my heart to do. So, you know, we would read something from the Bible. Um, we would talk about it and we would um, pray in the name of Jesus. And uh, they would bring their prayer requests. One week, I remember one woman was very, very, very late. And she rushed, she said, I'm really sorry. I've only got five minutes, but I just want you to pray for me. And then I can go, a Muslim woman from Pakistan. So um, it was amazing. And then, um, yeah, just and then COVID hit and we haven't been able to meet in quite the same way. But um, can I tell you about one one meeting with these ladies that mm. was quite... Yeah, we love little. stories. So give us <clears throat> yeah. some stories. Yeah, so... Yeah, let me get this right. So uh, we were reading the, the story of when, um, when the woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus. And um, I decided to to cut, literally cut the story up, cut the story in, in half. And uh, we read the first half of the story. We read it in Arabic, we read it in Urdu, we read it in English. And um, obviously the story goes, the woman's brought to Jesus and she's been caught in adultery. She's done this terrible thing. The law says that she needs to be stoned. Jesus, what are you going to do? And then we stopped. So I asked the ladies, what do you think? You know, remember there are people from Sudan here, Pakistan, India. Um, and uh, there was a bit of silence. And then one woman, the Sudanese lady said, well, Jesus is only good. He would do nothing wrong here. Then there was a bit more silence. It just seemed a bit awkward. It seemed as if the women knew something that I didn't. And one woman finally said, well, we know this story because this story is in the Quran. Okay. Yeah. I said, well, tell me about that. She said, yeah. She said, well, the, the, they caught the woman in, in the act and brought her to Muhammad. I said, okay. Um, and then what happened? Well, Muhammad said, and I, I'm hoping I've remembered this correctly. Please forgive me if I get it slightly wrong, but this is my um, remembrance. <coughs> um, he said, 
take her away and let the baby be weaned. And when the baby's finished weaning, bring, bring them back to me. So that happened. And when the baby had finished weaning, um, Muhammad said, okay, give me the child and now stone the mum. So that was the end of that story. I said, okay, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, can I give you the second part of this story? And so, oh, before that, people shared around the place, well, in my country, if you're caught doing that, they dig a hole in the ground. This was a Sudanese lady. They put you in it and they, they hit you, you know, and, and just people hit you as you walk apart and, and, and I believe stone. So, you know, they shared as well from more modern day experiences from their countries. <clears throat> anyway, then they had their second, the second part of the story, which of course, um, you know, Jesus is, is writing in the sand and uh, says to the men, he who is, with, is without sin, cast the first stone. And um, the women just were like, Whoa. wow, such, you know, they didn't really have the words, but, you know, that words like mercy came out and, and wise and loving. And it, it was a moment, I tell you, it was incredible, this moment where there was, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what their thoughts were, but I can only imagine what their thoughts were. I know what my thoughts would have been. I know what my thoughts are when I reflect on that story even now. Um, but yeah, that was an incredible moment where, um, where the, the, the beauty, the wisdom, the pure heart of Jesus, <clears throat> you know, love for this woman came through. Um, so yeah, that, that was an incredible time. They, they weren't all like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that was the kind of level we were at. Um, and we're still praying for um, these women to, you know, to, to come through to faith as such, but I see it happening. Um, and I know it's difficult. It's not straightforward, is it? It's not like they can just say, oh, right, yeah, I'll come, I'll come to church every week now, although they, some do, to be fair, not every week, but often. So I know it's complicated, but um, I'm learning with them, along with them, how, how that works to have faith in Jesus as a, as a Muslim, I guess, or as a cultural Muslim, uh, um, at least. But, yeah, interesting. Well, because we read that story with Western eyes um, and don't go into the depths of what it meant for those women. I mean, I won't read it the same way now, having heard that. I mean, it was it it was really, and the way you did it, incredible, absolutely incredible. Have before we have to finish, have you got another story? Because stories are either from Russia or, or from what you're doing with these um, people from other cultures and nations. I really should the story, shouldn't I, up my sleeve? Um, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> we like putting people on the spot. <laughs> um, well, I guess a little one. It's not like, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just showed me quite a lot. You know, we think we can't do things, don't we? We think, oh, yes. I, can't, I can't talk about that with that person because of this. And we almost say no for them. Um, so, yeah, okay. So there's the Sudanese lady I mentioned. Um, let me get this order right. 
Yes. So she has a neighbour called Lindy, um, the late the hoarder, <laughs> who's also a recovering alcoholic. Um, that was referring to something we were talking about before yeah. recording. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so we had a special service and um, the, the Sudanese lady came with and brought along Lindy, her neighbour. And so they were sitting there. During the course of the service, we had a, the alpha course was advertised. We were starting a new alpha. And at which point, Lindy turns around to the Sudanese lady and says, you're coming to that with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, something I probably would never have dared to do. Um, and then they start this alpha course. So I went to the Sudanese lady's house every whatever night it was, Tuesday night, to look after her children while she went to to that. But um, I just love that, you know, that that kind of sense of you just do it. Some Just sometimes just do it. Just go with it. And um, who knows? They might even say yes. And if they don't, well, that's fine as, as well, isn't it? But I guess I'm learning to be more bold. Um, to be a bit more like Lindy. You're coming with me. <laughs> so the, the lady from Sudan, she now has a Northern English accent. Is that, that, <laughs> that was my takeaway from what you just said. <laughs> no, no, it was the, um, it was the, it was the British woman who said to the Sudanese woman, you're oh, coming with me. Oh, <laughs> okay, never mind then. <laughs> but when you say you're learning to be more bold, I go well, right back to your story of going to, Russia, I would call that definitely bold. I mean, even whatever age you are, to say, "Yep, I'll go to Russia for three years and get on a plane and and arrive in the big unknown," I, I'd call that bold. And I, only knowing how to say yes and no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I would. From books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know Susan that I have deeply appreciated you and appreciated the way that you um you just move forward you you just keep moving forward problems come challenges come but but you don't back off you just keep moving forward and um i think a big takeaway from what from what you've been saying is just a willingness to keep moving mm. um you know I, I think i think back on when you tried not to move and you threw that letter into the um waste paper bin it it speaks a lot of you that you never threw it away that even when you wanted to say no you knew there was a place you couldn't go to in that no and and you couldn't throw that away um and certainly i've been challenged by listening to you yeah susan thank you so much really appreciate you coming to to share some of your story or as they would say in russia spasiba <laughs> very good andrew well done <laughs> thank you susan yes thank right. you god bless bye-bye thank you for listening to this episode if it inspired you please rate us and subscribe on apple or google podcasts spotify or another podcast platform <laughs>